0: Welcome back to Curious Combinations, and everything's an original podcast. I'm AF Tana, and today I'm covering episodes 9 and 10 of season 1 of Dark. We open on a montage of faces, our young cast and their older counterparts, including one face, Alexander's teen face, that we haven't seen before. The narrator muses over mankind's origin, again referencing the themes of religion versus science that I fear we're going to be delving heavily into before long, and then we head into the credits. It was around here, or perhaps during the opening credits of the final episode, that, while looking for hints of scenes in the opening that hadn't yet appeared in the show proper, I realized I'd been misinterpreting the split-second scene of someone entering the bunker. Since the disappearance of Mickle so many episodes ago, I had been taking it for granted that he was the one in this scene. Paying closer attention this time, though, meant that I noticed how hilariously wrong I was. It's not Mickle; it's Charlotte, and I feel ridiculous. Anyway, we're back with Jonas and Tanhouse's device. A cylinder rises from the device, and there's no hints yet as to what this means. Then we cut to one of the underground doors, the 1953 door. Cut to 1953, where Helga's parents are dealing with his disappearance. His mother thinks he ran away, his father is going to the police to tell them to find his son, no matter what it takes. Outside the bunker, where Helga's body lies unconscious, Ulrich is still sitting in shock. He should have been long gone by now but the emotional difficulty of what he's done or what he thinks he's done has made him waste his chance to get home because at the police station ulrich has just become egon's number one suspect in the disappearance of helga and the murder of the two unidentified boys in the woods poor claudia is still looking for little gretchen she's not going to find her not for 33 years but she doesn't waste this little trip she flirts with Chauncey and probes into his family issues i still believe that they're running from his father Tronti's mother, meanwhile, is at home flirting with Claudia's mother. She's trying to give her a dress, and the tension is palpable, but Claudia's mother is flustered and refuses to accept the gift. The two women chat a bit about their husbands. Claudia's mother's marriage to Egon is on the rocks, and Ulrich mentions later that she ends up leaving him sometime within the next thirty-three years, possibly to be with Tronti's mother, but perhaps not. Tronti's mother, who I think is named Agnes, mentions that her husband was a pastor, but not a man of faith, and it's here that an awful idea occurs to me what less-than-godly priest do we know already? Noah. And, based on what he says later, I don't even think that's his real name. I think Noah is a moniker he's taken on, to do with the religious themes he's dealing in. And we've no idea his backstory before he arrived in Vinden, so it's entirely possible that he's Agnes's supposedly dead husband. But if he is, and if that makes him Tranti's father, That would make Noah related to most of our primary cast here. It would tangle the web of Vinden even more. If Noah is Tronti's father, then he's Ulrich's grandfather, Mikkel's great-grandfather, and Jonas's great-great-grandfather. Not for the first time, I have to ask, is everyone related in this crazy town?" Speaking of Noah, he's having a chat with Helga's mom. She alludes to Helga being conceived by rape, and that he may not be her husband's child. It's an awful situation, and I feel really bad for her. But worse, at least in terms of this show trying to make my head spin around in circles, is that I'm worried that Noah's presence in this scene could be even more sinister than I realize. I'm not sure how villainous a character he's intended to be. Does this woman know who raped her? Would she recognize her rapist, and Helga's potential father? Or was it a complete stranger, someone who hid their identity from her? Could it have been Noah? Is there any chance that Helga winds up working with Noah in the future because Helga is Noah's child? Given what happens to Helga in the next episode, I don't think that's the most likely answer. I think Helga winds up working with Noah purely because Helga ends up being pulled into the wallpapered bunker when older Jonas tries to destroy the wormhole. But this scene leaves me half suspecting that both Trondi and Helga are Noah's children, and that complicates things a lot more. Through Helga, that would pull Peter and Francisca and Elizabeth into the Noah bloodline with, I suspect, every one descendant of Tronti, which would make Francisca and Magnus's romance another case of surprise incest. They'd be what, second cousins? Definitely legal, and definitely not any significant genetic risk. But if it turns out to be true, I just have to ask. What the fuck is it with the show and incest? Is this a purposeful reference to all the incest going on in Abrahamic mythology? Or are the writers just having a laugh? In any case, Egon finds Ulrich walking much too casually back toward the cave. Ulrich takes off upon seeing him, cementing himself as the single most suspicious person in town, and unfortunately for him, Egon figures out that he's headed towards the caves. Egon cuts him off and he tackles him, and Ulrich is so close to getting into the caves, and possibly back to 2019, when Egon pulls his gun. Honestly, he should have accepted the possibility of getting shot and just run for it. Getting shot on the way to 2019, possibly even dying on the way to 2019, would have been a better outcome than getting trapped and labeled insane in the 1950s. Egon's angry questions reveal to Ulrich that he's been misunderstanding how time travel works here. He only thinks he's changed things. But he hasn't. This time loop remains stable, and I don't know if there's any way to destabilize it. Fortunately, he's smart enough to figure out that the boys still being dead and dumped in 1953 means that he failed to kill Helga. Unfortunately, there's nothing he can do about that now. Not only did he fail to make it back to 2019, now he's on his way to a 1953 prison cell at best, and an asylum at worst, because Egon thinks Ulrich is an absolute madman, which of course he would. I have no idea how Ulrich is possibly going to get out of this, which makes me afraid that he won't. If he stays trapped in 1953, we may never see him again. He's already in his early fifties, I think. There's a good chance he'll die before 1986, and there's no way he'll still be kicking in 2019 if he has to time travel the slow way, if you know what I mean. But in the bunker where Elric left him, Helga lies in a pose a bit reminiscent of da Vinci's Vitruvian Man. That's perhaps not meaningful, but I did notice it. In any case, Helga wakes covered in blood, and then we cut back to Jonas's machine. The second cylinder rises, and we're on to 1986. A man in a mask runs through the woods. He's got a gun, which I find ominous, and the actor looks like a cross between Harry Styles and Charlie Heaton, which I find hilarious. In the caves, we see the door leading to 1986. At the school, Katerina and Hannah talk about Ulrich's imprisonment. Hannah checks to make sure that Tiedemann did not reveal her as the informant, and we get a hint of Hannah's motive in all this. It's implied, and this is fully psychopathic, that Hannah accused Ulrich of raping Katerina so that Katerina's mother would force her to break up with him. I really don't have words for how batshit crazy that is, but it does seem like exactly the kind of thing a 14-year-old with no morals or empathy might do. Hannah clearly did not think through the possibilities here. This is a very immature decision. There was always a chance that Katarina wouldn't defend Ulrich or break up with him. She might have caved to the pressure to co-sign Hannah's accusations. And who knows what would have happened to Ulrich then? A couple years of juvie, maybe? A couple years of prison? Shipped off to a military school? I don't know much about the German legal system, but this could have gone very differently if Katerina had told Egon what he wanted to hear. And then what the fuck would Hannah have done? Bide her time and wait to comfort him once he gets out of prison? That would hardly have worked. The way Katerina tells it, she was the only thing keeping him in Vinden all these years. So Hannah's a psycho and a moron, is what I'm saying. In a way that's very authentically 14. But anyway, knowing that Katarina fully intends to find out who did this to Ulrich and beat the absolute shit out of them, Hannah deftly pins the blame on Regina. I feel so bad for Regina, I just have to say that again. At the jail, Egon is forced to let Ulrich go but he tells him that he knows Ulrich's face. Not literally his face, but the type. The stare. And it's very interesting, I think, that he's kind of right here. His hatred of Ulrich seems so inexplicable at first. I truly couldn't wrap my mind around it. But given what happened in the 50s, in Egon's past, but Ulrich's future, it makes perfect sense. Of course Egon doesn't consciously realize that this kid is the madman child killer he knew way back when but somewhere in the back of his mind, his subconscious knows. He looks at child Ulrich in 1986 and sees adult Ulrich in 1953. And of course, Egon, being a comp, misattributes this lizard-brain danger warning going off in the back of his mind as intuition honed by his job. He's deeply, desperately wrong. But in a roundabout way, he's kind of right. Either way, though, Yana is not pleased. She slaps Egon and tells him to stay away from their family and her younger son's case, and while Egon appears shocked, the smug little smirk on Teen Ulrich's face is infinitely punchable. Down in the caves again, Claudia approaches the radioactive waste barrels. Her Geiger counter confirms the danger of them. And then a familiar little poodle comes running out of the caves. It's Gretchen. And how much of a mindfuck is that? Can you imagine losing your dog as a child? And finding it again completely unchanged, in a cave system under a nuclear power plant, 33 years later, to sit in that moment of imagination, and how confused would you be? Oh my god. My question, though, is what exactly happened to Gretchen? Everyone we've seen travel beneath the power plant has had to open and close two doors in the midst of a local windstorm, so how the fuck did this 15-pound dog make it to 1986? At the Hunting Blind, Ulrich and Katarina are smoking and snuggling, and Ulrich jokes that Egon thinks he's the Antichrist. Given the potential connection that I think there may be between him and Noah, who the show has set up as an Antichrist figure himself, well, this line just makes me wonder. Unfortunately for Regina, this is when she's on her way home through the field. Katerina approaches her, and despite being a full head taller than this little girl, Katerina has no problem roughing her up for what Hannah claims she did. Now to be fair to Hannah here, while noting that Hannah absolutely does not deserve any fairness, Hannah didn't actually tell Katerina that Regina definitely did it. She just proposed that Regina could have been the one. Katerina is the one who's decided that this possibility is enough reason to beat up on a much smaller girl that she's already been picking on for who knows how long. I'm just consistently disappointed with Katerina's mean girl thing. And later, we'll get to see that she still has this propensity toward bullying violence in her when she's an adult, even after 33 years of opportunities to mature into a better person. Luckily for Regina, the German version of Jonathan from Stranger Things, actually young Alexander, makes a sudden appearance. He's got no qualms interfering on Regina's behalf, and more importantly, he's got a gun to back him up. And I think it's very telling here that Ulrich lets Katarina face this gun-wielding stranger almost entirely on her own. Alexander might be the type of guy who defends women he doesn't know, but Ulrich isn't even the kind of guy who'll defend women he does know. He barely even tries to stop Katarina from beating up Regina, and I must again emphasize this significant size difference between these two girls. They're not in the same weight class. This is not a fair fight. This is not justice. This is barely even vengeance. This is mostly just bullying. Regina can't defend herself from Katerina, not effectively. Ulrich, though, could have easily restrained her, and chose not to. Thank goodness, then, for Alexander. Though, if I were Regina, I wouldn't trust a stranger with a gun, no matter how heroic he momentarily seemed. On the other hand, he does seem specifically designed to accidentally on purpose seduce her. Not only does he swoop in to play hero, but he provides her with an opportunity to play nursemaid a moment later, when he collapses and reveals that he's been shot. At Helga's house, Claudia meets with the man in the wheelchair, who in this scene, I finally realize was Helga's father. I'm a dope. Claudia confronts him again about the barrels in the cave. He reveals that they're filled with materials contaminated by the so-called incident that helped create the wormhole in the tunnels helga's father warns claudia not to make a big deal out of what happened and when she asks whether anything strange has happened regarding the power plant like dogs traveling through time for instance he very carefully doesn't admit to anything what he does or does not know i can't quite tell but i'm suspicious if he does know Perhaps he's the one who built the tunnels. Perhaps that's how Helga ends up back in 1953 to grow up into the man we know in 1986 and 2019. Perhaps when Helga ends up in Noah's little torture chamber, Noah and Helga's dad strike up a deal. And if that's the case, it's possible that the Noah and Helga's mom scene we saw earlier was set after Noah gets his hands on her son. In 1986, old man Helga is spying on middle-aged Helga, and middle-aged Helga is late for his interview with Egon. Egon goes to the cabin to look for him, but middle-aged Helga hides. We see the inside of his cabin at this point, and it's very childish, just as Helga himself is at this point in his life. One assumes Ulrich's attack must have left him with brain damage as well as scars, because that's certainly the way this actor seems to be playing the role. Old man Helga, though, seems fundamentally different. Despite having dementia, he's not a childish character. So is this just these two actors interpreting the same character differently, and the director failing to correct the discrepancy? Or did something happen to Helge in the years between 1986 and 2019 that fundamentally changed him in some way? In the woods, Alexander hides his gun and his Boris Neewald passport in a plastic bag beneath a tree. He's also carrying what one assumes is a stolen passport, and the real Alexander Colner may or may not still be alive to miss it, Either way, Boris is taking on Alexander's identity, which does not imply anything good for anyone involved. And Hannah, like the nosy little psycho that she is, spies. And steals. And sits on what she knows for 33 years. At the power plant, Claudia is contemplating her dog. And honestly, can we just take a minute to wrap our minds around the sheer adorableness of Gretchen still recognizing her human even though it's been 33 years, and she looks entirely different? but I guess still smells the same. That's when Alexander comes in. He's looking for work and introduces himself as Regina's friend, and Claudia is openly shocked and confused by the very notion of her daughter even having a friend. It's really upsetting. Claudia is the most horrible mom we've seen in this show, though honestly, have we seen any good moms in the show? Maybe Inez? But we haven't actually seen her parenting yet, have we? We've only seen her before the adoption and after Michael's suicide, So she could prove to be a disappointment, too. Anyway, Claudia chats with Alexander, and since he ends up being her successor to this job, obviously she's going to give him some kind of a job. But in 1986, she tries to get rid of him, claiming that they don't have any work available. But Alexander isn't dissuaded. At home, Regina tries to pretty herself up to attract him, and it's kind of heartbreaking that she doesn't seem to have any idea what she's doing. Clearly, her mom knows how to belittle and to criticize, but not to teach or to nurture. Regina is running a brush through her dry curls and looking dejectedly at the resulting mass of frizz, and though my hair can't hold a curl to save my life, even I know that this isn't how you care for hair like hers. I just feel so bad for teen Regina, you guys. It's ridiculous. At the bunker, the lights are on and Helga is working with Noah to set up the familiar prison with its childish wallpaper and mysterious torture device. Helga clacks Noah's conviction. Noah has clearly tricked him into thinking that there's something religiously righteous about whatever they're trying to achieve, but Helga has reached his breaking point. He threatens to stab Noah, who calls his bluff without blinking, and it's a really upsetting scene. Helga, like I said, is such a childish man in a way that I think implies disability, and Noah could not be a more obviously abusive personality. He's intense, he's threatening, and he offers physical comfort alongside reassurance that he's the only good person in the world. Hulk can't leave him. He is good. The world is bad. It's a pretty common abuse tactic, and it really hurts to see. But he does also hint at his motivation here. The electric chair device, the one that's burning little boys to death as it sends them randomly through time, is likened to Noah's Ark, and Noah is, of course, Noah. I assume this means that Noah is not his real name, like I mentioned before. I assume this means that he's chosen this name for himself because he finds it personally meaningful. I assume the theme of Noah's Ark and Abrahamic nonsense mingling with time travel is at least partially him being honest. I don't think he's saying this only for Helg's benefit, but maybe he is. Either way, he says he's going to create a time machine that, quote, reorders everything, beginning and end. And what the fuck does that mean? Elsewhere or perhaps else when, Jonas's device raises its third and final cylinder. In 2019, Hannah reveals that she's been keeping Alexander's bag of discarded secrets all these years. She has the Boris Nywald passport and the handgun. It's very ominous. The last person in this show that I trust with a handgun is Hannah. To round out the trio, we get a shot of the final tunnel door, the 2019 door. And then we're back at the police station. Charlotte is listening to the voicemail Elric left for her when Katerina barges in to intimidate Charlotte. She wants to know where Elric is, and she's an extremely overdramatic asshole here, acting as if Charlotte is somehow responsible for her husband being a philanderer. And so begins the true resurgence of Katerina's mean-girl tendencies. She's bullying Charlotte, a cop, for absolutely no reason, and in, and in America, this would absolutely get you arrested on the spot. Because in Katarina's heartbreak and impotent rage, she's reverting back to her teen self and her most immature impulses. It makes sense from a character standpoint, but that doesn't mean I have to enjoy it. If you're going to give me a love triangle, after all, I'd prefer to like at least one of the characters involved. A love triangle between three assholes is one of the most tedious things in the world. At Katarina's house, Magnus and Francisca, who, I remind you, could be related if my theories about Noah are correct. Are busy fucking." Magnus hints at knowing about Francisca's possible sex work, and Francisca refuses to talk about it. And you know what I said about Ulrich's love triangle being fucking tedious? I take it back. His relationship is at least more interesting than these two. But at Jonas's house, he contemplates the red rope that he found while ignoring Marta's calls. It's probably a good idea, given that she's his aunt. But Marta spots Francisca leaving her brother's room, making it very obvious what's going on between them, and Marta is for some reason angry that her brother didn't tell her about his new fuck-buddy. To which I say, why do you want to know who your brother is fucking, and can you please stop trying to nail your nephew? Downstairs at Jonas's house, Katerina comes banging on the door. It's confrontation time. Hannah plays dumb, and she's a pretty masterful liar. She's had over forty years of practice, after all. Katarina physically assaults Hannah, who takes it without a word, and tries to verbally intimidate Hannah into telling her where Ulrich is. But Hannah doesn't know, and at first it looks like she might be prepared to tell the truth here. She tells Katarina that she and Ulrich are done, but she spends a wild tale about her breaking up with Ulrich, complete with Ulrich being in love with her and wanting to leave Katarina, and she even implies that their affair wasn't consensual on her part. It's horrific. It's genuinely sick. And something needs to be done about this woman. Hannah is a fucking threat to society at this point. Anyone who can lie like that, anyone who not only has the ability to do so, but actively chooses to harm people by doing so, they're a danger. I don't even know if a person like this can be rehabbed. Hannah's not at like Ted Bundy levels of just get rid of this person for me, but honestly, she's close. As far as I can tell, she's a person who would make the world a better place just by virtue of her not being in it. Maybe if Ulrich had killed her instead of trying to kill Helga. Well, no sense speculating. At Regina's house, Bartas is playing video games when that wild-looking witch woman shows up. Except she's no mystic. She's Claudia, Bartas' grandmother, who Regina claimed was dead. Bartas lets her in, and they have a chat. She admits to having been a bad mom. And she says that what she's been up to is a very long story that she can't tell him. Not yet. She gives Bartas a photo of herself and Regina that she wants Bartas to give Regina, and assures him that she'd do a lot of things differently if she could turn back time. But honestly, I don't get the feeling that she actually wants to go back and change things. Noah claims that she's a liar and a manipulator, and Noah himself is a liar and a manipulator, so I don't know whether to believe Claudia, or to believe Noah, or to discount both of these mysterious people. At the hotel, Regina Has a weird scene in which she's contemplating dust, I guess? It's got to be important, since two separate shots from this tiny little scene are in the opening credits, but my god, does it seem like inexplicable nothing. At the power plant, Hannah gives Alexander his massage, and then reveals to him that she knows about his sordid past and intends to blackmail him with it. And what does she want? Well, because she's fucking crazy, she doesn't want money, or opportunities, or anything that could actually benefit her and her family. No, she wants to ruin Ulrich. That's it. He won't fuck her anymore, so she's going to ruin him. To which I say, too late? Ulrich's already ruined his life in a way that I suspect he won't be able to undo. You missed your chance. Back in his yellow rain slicker, Jonas returns home to find Marta waiting for him. She wants to know what's going on between them. He's hot, then he's cold, and what the entire hell is he playing at? She kisses him. He insists that it's wrong and that he's no longer interested. And the poor girl is so visibly confused. I feel so bad for these kids. And honestly, their will-they-won't-they relationship is the most interesting relationship the show is offering right now. Not that they have any real competition. It's not a high bar to clear. At the power plant, Alexander calls Eyepatch Guy, who I think is named something like Voller. But he's looking for dirt on Ulrich. And Eyepatch Guy reveals that he's involved with the illegal and improper disposal of the nuclear contamination. So he is part of a conspiracy, just not the one that I was expecting. Alexander reassures him that they'll stash the barrels back in the cave once everything calms down again in a few days, which feels like wishful thinking on his part. At the hotel, Regina finally discovers older Jonas's room full of crazy. If it were me, I'd have just dipped out and pretended that I never went in. Nothing good can come from knowing about this. Elsewhere, older Jonas's machine lights up and begins doing something. Outside, along the road where Bartas first met Noah, Bartas is again meeting Noah. He tells Noah that everything Noah said would happen, did happen, which clears up the question of what the hell these two talked about the first time they met, and Noah asks whether Bartas considered some offer that Noah gave him. It's worrisome. Bartas says yes, which could mean he did consider it, or that he accepts it. But what's the offer? What's Noah's interest in this kid? I'm really worried. At the power plant, Claudia hires Alexander to seal up that red door Charlotte found before, and perhaps I'm just dim, but I feel like I'm supposed to understand what's happening here more than I do. What's behind this door? Is this to do with the nuclear waste? Or is this to do with the time travel? Should I know already, or am I supposed to feel as in the dark about this scene as I do? At the truck stop, the sex worker who I don't think has been given a name, leaves one client and tries to solicit another. The other, who turns her down, turns out to be older Jonas, and he's stealing something from the nuclear barrels hidden in one of the trucks. In the nineteen fifties, Tanhouse is trying to get Ulrich's cell phone working, presumably after the battery died, when elderly Claudia walks in. She's identical to the last time we saw her, which was twenty nineteen. Obviously she too is time traveling. Is she using the caves? Does she have a device like older Jonas's? Does she have a device like Noah's? Whatever she's using she definitely knows about older Jonas's device she gives the schematics for it to Tanhouse and tells him to build her a machine to set time straight it's deeply truly ominous and i don't know whether i should believe her she's clearly being set up as a counterpart to noah here but is she the hero to noah's villain or do we as the viewers simply not yet understand the forces at play here she could just be a second villain or somehow some way maybe noah is more heroic than we think It's technically possible. In any case, on to the next episode. It's the night that Mickle goes missing, and Peter is contemplating paying our trans sex worker for her services. He decides against it, goes to the bunker, and self harms. I really don't know what to think of the obvious turmoil he's dealing with here. He's repeating the Serenity Prayer again, which is an odd choice, and given that he hasn't spoken at all about what he's going through, I'm not entirely sure exactly what the issue is. Is he actually a gay man, and he's exploring his sexuality in an effort to figure out what it is? Is he a straight man struggling to admit that he prefers pre- or non-op transgender women to cis or post-op trans women? Is he transphobic and ashamed of his attraction to the sex worker? Or is he merely struggling with the desire to seek sex outside his marriage, which isn't terribly surprising given that it's clear he and Charlotte had the absolute deadest of dead bedrooms? Whatever he's going through, I feel really terrible for him, and I hope this show handles it well. And by well, I mean don't endorse any transphobia, don't bury any gays, and try not to do anything that's going to imply that bisexuality doesn't exist. Basically, maybe let some queer people take a look at Peter's plotline during the writing stage, or better yet, let a queer person write Peter's storyline, because there's a lot of room here to accidentally say something harmful and shitty, even if you have the best of intentions. So I'm gonna keep my fingers crossed, but I'm not wholly optimistic. This could be phenomenal, but there's a lot of room for mistakes. In any case, we finally get the answer to what the fuck happened to Peter on the night of Mikkel's disappearance, why he called Charlotte that night, and why he's been such an emotional wreck since then. Because while he's dealing with the emotional trauma that he's already got, some more falls into his lap, almost literally. A motherfucking portal opens up in the air in front of him, and Matt's body falls onto the bunker floor. Peter, bless him, tries to save this obviously dead child. He tries CPR, which is a dumbass move if ever there was one. It's obviously not going to help. It gets his DNA all over the corpse's mouth, which is not a good look. And he's not even doing it right. The whole point of CPR is to buy time for the paramedics to get there, to actually save the person. And he didn't even call them. In fact, he never even reports the body. He finds its identification and realizing that this is the impossible corpse of a boy who went missing in 1986, he decides that instead of calling the police, He calls the boy's father i cannot pretend i understand why this is the decision that he made but tranti arrives at the bunker to find his missing son's corpse and at least he acknowledges how completely impossible this is and thankfully he doesn't think that peter did this to his son but before any of them can even begin thinking about what to do next in comes claudia tranti recognizes her and she tells them that she has a lot to explain But first, they have to take Mans to, quote, the place where he is to be found. She's facilitating the stable time loop, and she knows it. And my only question is why? What are her motives? What are her goals? What does she know? When does she come from? What in the entire world happened to Claudia between when we see her as a 1980s businesswoman and as this wild-looking, time-traveling crone? And given my use of that particular word, I do want to point out that trope being used here. And how much I enjoy it. We're doing everything in threes, three forks in the tunnel leading to three different times each set 33 years apart, Abrahamic religion with its trinity god, the Triketra, and of course our oldest characters in the cast, each played by three actors to invoke the three faces of Eve and the three faces of Adam. If you don't know, these are archetypes representing the three major phases that the western world assigns to a man or woman's lifetime. Their youth, their adulthood, and their old age. Within this system, youth is often associated with innocence and a lack of sexuality, adulthood with marriage and parenthood, and old age with wisdom and regret. For women, these three stages are almost always referred to as the maiden, the mother, and the crone, and they are as tied to European paganism as they are to the Abrahamic faith. But anyway, after the credits, Jonas is dreaming. It's a false awakening featuring someone, Mikkel, putting his hand on Jonas's shoulder. Jonas wakes, frightened, and throws away his medication. Given that we don't know precisely what his medication is, I can't be specific when I condemn this, but this is a truly awful trope in media, and it's as common as it is harmful. There is nothing wrong with taking medication. Many of us could not function without it. That does not make people who take medication weak or less than. Medication is a tool like any other. And depending on what medication you're taking, do not stop taking it without consulting a doctor. That could be dangerous for your health. Most importantly, though, don't flush it down a drain on an impulse. Going off medication should never be an impulsive decision. And you shouldn't put your meds in the waterways, anyway. At Marta's house, she's apologizing to Bartas. She's trying to tell him that she cheated on him and kissed Jonas, justifying her irrational actions thanks to the trauma of losing Mikkel. She's right, everything she's done is a perfectly reasonable trauma response, and Bartas does seem to forgive her. I hope. At the old folks' home, Charlotte discovers that Helga is missing. He does this often, wandering away like dementia patients so often do, but he always comes back. This time, though, he didn't. And though Charlotte is worried that Ulrich could have done something to him, and in a way, she's right, Helga, as she knows him, is in 1986, sleeping in the same blind where Jonas slept and where Alexander met Regina. In 2019, Jonas confronts Inez about what she did and did not know. She gives him the letter that Michael left for her, shocking Jonas, and confirming my theory. It's the exact same letter that was left for him, the one he burned a few episodes ago. Jonas is confused, but not yet ready to reckon with the reality that the man who talked him out of saving Mikkel is his own future self. In any case, this version of Jonas is still hung up on the idea of rescuing Mikkel from the past. He asks Inez why she didn't save him, given what she knew. He throws his tangled family relationships in her face, namely that his mother is unknowingly fucking his grandfather, and that he's been making out with his aunt. And then this poor baby breaks my entire fucking heart. There's nothing wrong with them, he says. There's something wrong with him. He is what's wrong. Inez tries to tell him that things happen for a reason, but that's not what he needs to hear. That's not going to get through with him. That's nothing. That's not helpful. This kid, the way he's talking right now, even the way his older self acts in the future, Just like Regina is a fundamentally self-destructive and self-harming character, and just like Peter seems to be a fundamentally self-hating character, Jonas is a fundamentally suicidal young man. He doesn't care that saving Mikkel will probably erase him from time. He doesn't care that trying to destroy the wormhole in the caves will probably either kill or erase him. He doesn't care that a fixed world won't include him. He doesn't care whether or not he exists. It's a really familiar type of depression for me. And I just want to give this poor baby a hug and tell him all the things that I know from experience he desperately needs to hear when he's having this kind of a crisis. And in the past, his father, too, is breaking my heart. Mikkel wants to go home to his own time and his own family, but he doesn't articulate it that way. What he says is that he wants to wake up from the nightmare he's found himself in. And if I were Jonas, I too would be perfectly willing to sacrifice myself to save him. A part of me wonders if it might not just... And a part of me honestly wonders if that might not be the ultimate answer to this. With everything so complex and so tangled, maybe resolving this plot is just a matter of finding the right thread to cut so that the entire knot collapses. But which thread is the right one? Jonas doesn't save Mikkel, not in this season at least, and dark time travel doesn't even seem to leave room for the possibility of changing anything, so... Where are we going with this? Especially given what we see at the end. We're not there yet, though. Right now, it's 1953, and Ulrich has just discovered that the man arresting him is Egon, who made his life so miserable in the 80s. They have some choice words for each other. Egon still thinks that Ulrich is a Satanist, despite the fact that the most well-known form of modern Satanism won't even be established for another 16 years, and Ulrich rubs it in that Egon's wife is going to leave him sometime soon. At the high school back in 2019, Bartas confronts Jonas. He makes a good point. Jonas stood him up a few days ago, and to add insult to injury, he stood him up to go steal his girlfriend. But he takes it vastly too far. He initiates a fight that Marta has to break up. And then he tells Jonas to never return to the school, which is fully deranged. Bitch, this is his school? And who the fuck made you the hall monitor? You can't tell another child that they can't come back to school? Huh? Huh? But in 1986, older Jonas returns to Tanhouse to see if his device has been repaired. It's not, but Tannhaus has learned something about his own version of the device. It needs the cell phone that Ulrich left behind in order to work. It's a total paradox. He could only complete this device by seeing Jonas' version, which only exists because he managed to complete the device. The device, in other words, brings itself into existence. And I worry that this is a metaphor somehow, for one or more of the relationships in the show. Jonas's family line is already so tangled up, and I suspect that Noah might be the start of it. But what if even that bit of tinfoil is somehow less crazy than the truth? What if it goes a step further than what I think it does? What if Noah isn't the beginning of the relevant people in the lineage? What if the lineage isn't even a tree, so much as another loop? What if Jonas and Ulrich and Mikkels whole family's existence is its own paradox, like this device? What if Jonas and Ulrich and Mikkel and maybe even Noah only exist because they exist? What if Noah turns out to be a descendant of Jonas, as well as an ancestor? What if Jonas and Ulrich and Mikkel and Noah's line begets itself? But that's tinfoil upon tinfoil at this point, and I'm probably just losing my mind. Maybe. I guess we'll see. In the meantime, Jonas is adding radioactive cesium to the device, and it's all very techno babble. More grounded than a lot of technobabble, I'll grant you, but still, technobabble is one of the reasons I don't tend to vibe with sci-fi. Jonas leaves Tanhouse with the device, and he avoids Tanhouse's questions about what the future is like. Jonas merely says that he hopes to change it. And again, I don't actually think such a thing is possible. Noah says later that Claudia is tricking him, and I don't know if he's right. I don't know if Claudia is involved, but I definitely think that Jonas is horribly misguided. What he's trying to do, I don't even think it's possible. In 2019, Charlotte is talking to Peter about Helga's childhood kidnapping. Peter again tries to tell Charlotte about what happened with Mads, but she doesn't have a second for him. I feel so terrible for Peter, I really do. This marriage is clearly all wrong for him, for any number of reasons, and I want so desperately for him to free himself from this. In 1986, middle-aged Helg returns to the cabin to find old man Helg waiting for him. Middle-aged Helg doesn't recognize his older self, not even when old man Helg tries to explain to his younger self that Noah is a manipulator and a liar, and definitely just using him. Also, he's evil, which is a strong word... What could be reasonably accurate depending on what it is that he's trying to do. In any case, I'm really interested to know how old man Helga came to this realization. But it's interesting that he refers to this particular 1986 day as the beginning and the end, especially given what happens later with the two Jonases. But most interesting to me, perhaps, is that old man Helga comes to the same conclusion that Ulrich did. Helga is the one who has to be killed to fix the timeline. And while Ulrich tried to kill child Helga, old man Helga tries to kill middle-aged Helga. Both Helga and Ulrich fail, of course, given the stable time loop. But Helga's attempt costs him his life, though Ulrich's attempt may do the same, in the long run. In Jonas's attic, Jonas contemplates the spot where his father hung himself, and then goes downstairs to confront his mother. His thousand-yard stare and his it-doesn't-matter line and the hug he gives his mom are all very clear signs. This boy is screaming to the heavens that he is about to take his life, and no one is picking up on the signs. I do not have the words to tell you how sad I am for this poor child. In the 2019 bunker, Trondy and Peter make it clear that they think something is going to change in the time loop after today. It doesn't really make much sense. But they're trusting Claudia, and I said something earlier in the podcast that I think turned out to be kind of right in a kind of roundabout way. I got a detail wrong, I think. I thought that Patch Guy was involved, but everything else has kind of turned out to be true. I proposed at some point, and I'm not sure which episode it was, but I proposed the idea of Helga and Patch Guy working with Noah on one side of things, and Chauncey and Peter working with some other mysterious figure in opposition to Noah. I'd say that turned out to be true. Eyepatch Guy doesn't appear to be involved, but Helga is Noah's pawn, and Tronti and Peter are clearly Claudia's. It seems to me that she's tricking them every bit as much as Noah is tricking Helga. But that perception, I suppose, is based on something that Noah says later. So maybe Claudia's not tricking them, and Noah's the one who's tricking me. In any case, Noah is definitely tricking Helga. He's telling Helga a story of his childhood. He claims that a stranger, a soldier, came to him. And here we cut to Jonas, with a sadness in his eyes that revealed a yearning for suicide that could not be fulfilled. Noah says that the person moved into his house, into the bedroom right beside Noah's, and that he heard this person talking in his sleep frequently. Nothing is in vain, he said one night, not a single breath, not a single step, not a single word, not pain, an eternal miracle of the one. Noah didn't get it, and neither do I, but I do think he's referring to Jonas here, especially given what we see at the end of this episode. Jonas, at the end of this season, clearly ends up in a future war zone. So is Noah from the future? If he is, that could be support for Noah as a descendant of Jonas. He could even be Jonas's son, depending on how much more time-traveling Jonas gets up to in the future. Perhaps he gets to stay in Noah's mother's house because Noah's mother recognizes a younger version of the man with whom she conceived her son. But again, that's just tinfoil, and at this point I think it's safe to say I am losing my mind. Not that I won't be very smug if I turn out to be anything approaching correct. Noah grabs Helga during the scene in a way that's both pretty intimate and extremely intimidating, and given that I think the end of the episode implies that Noah has been manipulating Helga since he was about nine or ten years old, and given that I still half suspect that Noah could be Helga's biological father, it's very uncomfortable. Helga clearly doesn't have anyone looking out for him, which is awful, especially given that he reads as a mildly disabled character. His father, the man in the wheelchair, is definitely still alive at this point. So why the fuck isn't he looking out for his son? Because Helga is swayed by Noah. Pretty easily. Who's next, he asks, and Noah's answer is almost inevitable. It's Jonas. Of course it's Jonas. Jonas is the next kidnapped boy. Back at the hospital, a social worker arrives to pick up Mikkel. Inez pulls her aside and announces that she intends to adopt him. The social worker tells her that it's going to be hard to arrange. It's a complicated process. But Inez is insistent, and we know from what we've seen of 2019 that she succeeds. In the woods, teen Charlotte is still drawing her dead birds. Jonas approaches, the hood of his yellow slicker pulled up, and he asks what's the date and the year. When Charlotte asks what Jonas is doing, he tells her that he's going to bring someone back from the dead. She's not shaken, and she really should be and only asks if he could bring the birds back, too. It's an interesting question, one that perhaps hints at something about Charlotte's character that I don't yet know. But it's only once he alludes to time travel, purposefully confusing her, that she finally calls him crazy, and Jonas departs. In 2019, Charlotte is going through microfiche regarding her father-in-law's childhood disappearance, and she finds a photo of the suspect believed to have abducted Helga and killed the other boys. It's Ulrich, there's no mistaking him, and now Charlotte looks appropriately concerned. In 1953, cops try to beat Helga's location out of Ulrich. Like I said, he should have just run when Egon pointed that gun at him. Better to have been shot than spend a lifetime being beaten by cops in a prison, and possibly later, orderlies at an asylum, depending on how this plays out. At the hospital in 1986, Jonas arrives in Mikkel's room, only to find Noah waiting for him. But Noah is just the distraction. Helga's hiding just out of sight, and he chloroforms Jonas in order to take Jonas to the bunker. When Jonas wakes, though, it's not Noah or Helga on the other side of the bunker door. It's older Jonas, who young Jonas does not yet recognize. Older Jonas explains that the device that looks like an electric chair is a prototype time-travel device that doesn't really work. It sends Noah's guinea pigs through time, but it kills them in the process. Jonas asks who older Jonas is, and older Jonas breaks the news to him. They're the same person, about 33 years apart, and everything young Jonas is experiencing, older Jonas has already experienced. They're both part of the stable time loop, and for older Jonas to get what he wants, younger Jonas has to play out his part the exact same way that older Jonas remembers it. And given everything we've seen so far, I'm very positive that he will. I honestly don't think there's a way to destabilize this time loop, and given that we see the future at the end of this episode, this show might not be heading towards a happy ending. There may be no preventing whatever caused this seemingly dystopian future. There may be no way out of this loop. There may be no way to change anything, and it's possible that the only way forward is through. In any case, we're about to finally get our answer on the question of Helga's accident. It's very literally an accident. It's a car accident. Older Helga tries to destabilize the time loop, just as Ulrich did before him. But it's all very Oedipus Rex. You might know what the future is going to be, but you cannot prevent it. And trying just means that you're going to help it come true. Older Helga slams his car into middle-aged Helga, killing his older self in the process, but leaving his middle-aged self to keep playing out his life exactly the way it happened. Perhaps if older Helga didn't have dementia, he would have known that this is a futile plan. Back in 2019, Peter finally just texts Charlotte to come to the cabin, and we resume our conversation between Noah and Bartosz. Everything is about to begin, he says. Jonas will attempt to destroy the wormhole, which will, in a sense, create it. Just like the machine, it's a paradox. The machine brings itself into existence, and so does the wormhole in the caves. And everyone, or so says Noah, is a pawn in these events. There are, he claims, two groups fighting to control time travel, good and evil, light and dark. Noah claims to be the good and the light, but if he's the light, I'd hate to see the dark. And Noah seems to agree with me there. The others, he claims, have lost their humanity, Claudia among them. She's using older Jonas like a puppet, according to Noah, and he hands Bartos his book with the Triquetra symbol on the cover. We will free humanity from its immaturity and pain, he says, which is probably the most ominous thing I've heard on this show so far. But it's the passing on of the book that catches my eye. If my crackpot theory about Noah being Jonas's son or grandson or something like that is wrong, Is there a chance that Noah could be Bartas? Is this scene actually Noah indoctrinating himself? Because just a few scenes ago, we saw Noah telling Helga that they had to go after Jonas based on what he reads in this book. If he's not making these decisions, if he's taking these decisions from this little book, that heavily implies that he is Bartas. that Bartas gets this book from his future self And the book tells him what he needs to do in order to become that future self. Again, the circumstances create themselves. But down in the tunnels, Jonas turns on the device and waits for the wormhole to be destroyed. He sits down beside the machine, beside the portal that opens, and sees the familiar spectre of his father, once again covered in some mysterious black liquid that I have no idea what to make of. In 2019, Charlotte descends into the bunker to join Peter. I suspect they're going to see something terrible given what's about to happen in the past versions of the bunker. But what are they going to see? As the lights flicker, we're given a montage of our entire cast spread throughout time. Jonas's device is causing an enormous earthquake around town, and Regina and Alexander see an enormous portal open in the woods. In an undisclosed time, Crone Claudia stands alone in the woods and reaches out her hands as ash begins to rain down. In the bunker, right above the tunnels in the caves, Helga waits in 1953, and Jonas waits in 1986. A portal opens in the bunker for both of them, connecting them across the span of time, and they reach out for one another, which I think is a terrible idea. And I think I'm right. It appears as if they're both pulled through. We get a repeat of that Helga-centric opening from a few episodes back, the one where he wakes bloody-faced in the wallpapered version of the bunker. But Jonas doesn't appear to have been pulled through to 1953. Nor does it appear that he's been taken to a different version of 2019. According to the people he meets, he is in the future. Possibly 2052, but possibly even beyond that. And I can only assume that the next season is going to see Jonas become the sad-eyed, suicidal soldier that Noah was talking about. But at least that means we'll probably get some answers out of Claudia along the way. I hope. In any case... This show and its time travel and its stable loops make my head spin in the most delightful way. I'm really enjoying it. I'm really, truly enjoying trying to piece together all the different little pieces of this wild jigsaw puzzle. It's a ton of fun, and I have theories left and right. I'm really enjoying speculating and analyzing, and I'm just very satisfied overall with this show. It's very well done. It's pretty well acted. And... I'm very satisfied with it. There are a few complaints that I have here and there, but it's very minor things. And a lot of it is things that I worry that they could go wrong with in the future, not that they've done anything wrong with now. So with this first season all completed, I'm very satisfied with this viewing experience. I really enjoyed this show and I'm very, very thrilled to have been told to watch it. I'm so pleased. The show wasn't at the height of my list of things to watch until, of course, I put up the Patreon poll, and this just so happened to be one of the options. And that is how I tend to find a lot of my favorites lately. Before I had anyone really voting on the polls, it was me checking out things that I knew had blown up on Netflix. Midnight Mass, Squid Game, Umbrella Academy. But since the polls have been underway, I've, you know, I've started to discover other shows through these recommendations essentially so if that sounds interesting to you if you are intrigued by the possibility of guiding my journey through fiction what you're going to want to do is head on over to my patreon where for one dollar per month you get to vote on the polls determining what it is that I watch from week to week my system is that I watch one season of a show over the course of, of one week I record all my podcast episodes and then I release them on a more reasonable schedule. It does mean though that my Patreon content is a few weeks at least ahead of what has been released publicly, so you may also want to check that out. $5 patrons, after all, get access to all of my reaction videos at full length. Watch me react to everything that I'm watching. If you've enjoyed this coverage after the fact of me talking about dark for $5 a month, you can head over to my Patreon and see me as I formulate my opinions in real time, especially high rolling patrons, even have the option of watching me react live and chatting with me while I do so over on YouTube. So with all of that said, on the day that I am recording this podcast episode, that's the day that I'm going to start my recordings of the reactions to season two of Dark. I cannot communicate to you guys how much I am looking forward to this. I haven't heard any spoilers about what's coming, But I have heard a hint of an opinion, not a solid opinion. I don't know for sure if my perception of this opinion is even accurate to the opinion. But someone whose opinions I tend to respect and I tend to agree with has said that she really enjoyed the show up until probably around season three, maybe more specifically the end of season three from The impression that I got of her viewing experience, she very much enjoyed the show until it came towards the conclusion of the show. And the conclusion of the show she wasn't as satisfied with. I don't know to what degree she was disappointed and I don't know to what degree I'm misunderstanding her opinion anyway. Again, I really don't want to spoil myself. So I'm trying to come into this with no expectations. I have very much disagreed with her on other things. So I'm hoping that maybe... One of my theories, of course, is that maybe it is a bad ending. Maybe it's a sad, bittersweet at best, or outright dark. Maybe the show is called Dark because it has a dark ending. I don't know. Maybe it's a dark ending, and we're coming up on a sad ending that would upset a lot of people, and maybe she didn't like that. I love bad ending i love a sad ending i love an ending where things don't work out i love a horror story where the monster is still there i love a horror story where you know you find out that it whatever you were trying to do didn't work i love that i love that kind of a twist um it's not always especially well done and i don't enjoy it when it's not well done but if it's well done i really like it the mist for example one of my favorite endings it's brutal but it's beautiful so If we are coming up on a dark ending for dark, I won't be disappointed. But like I said, I'm very interested to get there as quickly as I can. And of course, I am going to be doing dark season two this week. I'm going to be watching all eight episodes over the course of this week. And if you are interested in watching along with me, check out the Patreon. And if you're interested in voting to make sure that I get to watch dark season three next week, go over to the Patreon. And I thank everybody for listening. I really do. If you've enjoyed this podcast, Then you may want to head over to your favorite podcast app and leave a rating and a review. That would be very much appreciated. And beyond that, maybe tell a friend. Otherwise, just keep listening. I hope you keep enjoying. Send me any feedback you have. I'm really enjoying podcasting so far, and I hope that listeners are going to be enjoying this, my efforts too. So with all of that said, I'm going to be back very, very soon with my coverage of the opening two episodes of season two of Dark, and I cannot wait.